We're on a God pursuit this winter with Solomon, the third king of Israel. And sometimes um, I put what I hope will be the takeaway from the message of the morning. Uh, I put it right into the message title, what I hope will be the one thing you'll take away. And I've done that today. Um, it is a very simple title, and actually we're quoting scripture here. The Lord gives wisdom. Would you say that out loud with me? The Lord gives wisdom. I want you to carry this with you. I want you to carry that truth with you as we go into the week, that the Lord gives wisdom. In fact, it's a part of a little bit longer verse that, that I find, I quote, probably there's not a week goes by that I don't several times quote this verse to myself. It's verse 6 of Proverbs 2. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What a stunning, amazing verse. And that'll carry you through. The Lord gives wisdom. If you know Jesus, and you're living in the power of his resurrection life, then you tackle life with the assurance that the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So I'm sure this is the verse that James, in the New Testament, hundreds of years later, was thinking about when he wrote in James 1 and verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, what, what ought you to do? You ought to ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Because he says these two things. First of all, he's going to give you generously. He's not going to be stingy with it. He just, it's in his nature to give wisdom generously. And the second thing James adds, and he's not going to shame you for your need for wisdom. So, unembarrassed, with confidence, you come and you ask wisdom. And it's the Lord who gives wisdom. And from his mouth come wisdom and understanding. Now, Solomon became known as the wisest man in the world. And he was the one who wrote Proverbs 2.16, for the Lord gives wisdom. He wrote those words, and, and he had a life to back, he had life experience to back it up. Here's the backstory. Here's the backstory for Solomon. We've been seeing that he really loved the Lord. We saw last week how extravagant his worship to the Lord was. And so the Lord reveals himself in a dream to Solomon one night shortly after an extended season of worship and, and, and God focus in Solomon's life. And the Lord comes to him and says, Solomon, whatever you want, you name it and you've got it. I mean, that could change your life just that one moment. I mean, what are you going to ask for? And Solomon, Solomon was so overwhelmed with, with what it would mean to lead God's people as a king, he's a brand new king, that he asked the Lord to give him wisdom. Lord, I need help. These are your people. I mean, I, I, I need your help. I'm young. I need your help. I need your wisdom so I can really care for your people. So in 1 Kings 3, verse 10, we pick up that back story. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and have not, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but, but instead for discernment in administering justice, because that's what you chose, not something self-fixated, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor 
will there ever be? And Solomon does become known above all things for his wisdom, becomes the wisest man in the earth. In fact, in the next chapter, if you just turn the page over from 1 Kings 3, in 1 Kings 4, verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. So it's just following up and say God did what he said he'd do. And I, I liken that word, in, in that verse, the word breadth. breadth. It, it literally means wide. Like God gave width. We, we know that, that Solomon was already, you know, he was innately, he had wisdom. Um, his father David, just before he dies, refers to Solomon's wisdom when talking about how to deal with some things from the past. And, and, and so Solomon had wisdom. Like all of you, we have a certain innate wisdom. You have a certain innate IQ. But the word breadth is like a stretch word to me. It's like God took what he had and stretched it. He just gave it wideness. Now, I have a little above an average IQ, but I have nowhere near a genius IQ. And, and there are times when I just need the Lord to stretch it, whatever I have. Because he gave Solomon a breadth of understanding. When I was in, I studied engineering for nine years. When I was an engineering student, especially in graduate school, I was leading a little Bible study. I had a breakthrough pretty soon. I was a student leading 100 people in this ministry, and I was a half-time research assistant. And I was, I was finishing my PhD classes, doing my dissertation. And you know, you go in those classes, and you'd sit, and and I, I knew that I, you know, I technically with everything else on my plate, I didn't have time to be involved in volunteer ministry, but I technically didn't, but I just said, God, it's you first, and, and I want to make a difference as long as I'm here, so, so sometimes I couldn't study, sometimes I could only study the night before a test, not two nights before a test, you know, and things, and I go, to, and I'd be doing the test, and, you know, I'm not the smartest cookie in the room, but, but I go, there were times where I'd read a test question, and I have to be honest with you, there were times when I would say, now God, you know the answer to that question, and you're just not telling me. <laughs> but there were other times where I don't know how it happened, but, there were, but God stretched my IQ. God just sort of stretched my understanding. And there were times where just in the moment I could, no, that's it, that's it. Yep, good, got it right. And this is very real stuff. When you put Jesus first in your life. He won't make you the smartest person in the world necessarily, like Solomon, but he knows how to give you breadth of understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. So James said, so do you need wisdom? Ask him, because he's going to be generous about it, and he's not going to embarrass you because you need it. So here it is. Five types of wisdom Solomon walks into in his life. Five types of wisdom. Just hang with me. I'm going to go going to keep this moving, but there are five kinds of wisdom. The first type of wisdom is what I would call discerning wisdom. And right out of the gate, this is what Solomon experienced. This is the first recorded um, example of kind of that breadth of wisdom that God starts giving Solomon. He's now the new king, and sometimes the kings had to be the judge and jury in cases. So he comes, uh, and, and he sees these two women in front of him, and they're arguing. They're having a fight right in front of him. Both of them were prostitutes. 
Both of them had baby boys born within three days of each other. And both of them had been living in the same house. And one night when no one else was in the house to kind of give an alibi, it was just the two ladies and their two baby boys sleeping beside them. One of the ladies inadvertently rolls over onto her baby and smothers her baby and her baby dies in the middle of the night. She wakes up from this. She's horrified to see her baby is dead. And she's so grief-stricken that she goes to the other part of the house where the other mother is sleeping in the middle of the night with her baby and she exchanges her dead baby for that other woman's living baby. So that other woman wakes up in the morning and finds a dead baby beside her. Then it says, as the light of day began to come in through the windows, she looked carefully at that baby and said, that's not my baby. So she knows it's the other woman, so she goes to the other woman, and the other woman absolutely insists that, no, this living baby is my baby. She's not your baby. They get in a fight over it. They end up in court in front of King Solomon. So here it gives, verse 23, and King Solomon and wisdom, if you're using wisdom, you always start with facts. And so he started with the facts. The king said, okay, this one says my son is alive and your son is dead, while the other one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. So it's literally a, not quite a he said, she said moment. It's like a she said, she said moment. And there was no way of telling. There's no DNA test. There's no, there were no witnesses. They were alone in the house. So how, how's he going to figure this out? And, and both women are just entrenched about who their real son was. So do not try this at home. Do not ever do this, in fact. The king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. And Solomon tells his guys, I want you to take that sword and cut the baby in half so they can each have half if they can't decide. Of course, it was a bluff. And he knew, he knew that the real mom would immediately object. And sure enough, the real mom, she just panics. And she goes, no, 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 let the baby live. Give it to her. Just let the baby live. And the other woman sort of foolishly digs her own grave by saying, go cut him in half. If I can't have, if, if, we, if I can't have this baby, neither of us are going to have him. So obviously, the real mother was revealed. The one who desperately didn't want that baby to die, even if she had to give it to the other lady. Verse 28 Again, kings, Solomon's the new king. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had what? Wisdom from God to administer justice. I see a sitting judge in our, in, in our congregation today. I pray for him always that God gives him wisdom to administer justice in our county. I see, I see parents in this room Oh, man, if you don't need wisdom, I don't know who needs it. I see some business owners and some employers sitting in this room. You need wisdom. Some of you are in fights with your roommates. You need wisdom to get beyond just giving up and being in a fight. You need discerning wisdom. But God gives wisdom. Hallelujah. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That leads me to artistic wisdom. Because the Bible doesn't start. It starts with that story of discerning wisdom. And then after that story of cutting the baby in two almost, then we get to artistic wisdom. For in chapter 4, verse 32, a few verses later, 
He spoke, Solomon spoke, 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. So this guy, he wrote like 3,000 proverbs. We have some of the proverbs in our book of proverbs. Some of those proverbs are in our Bible, in the book of proverbs. We also have the book of Ecclesiastes and the, the book of the Song of Songs or Song of Solomons in the Old Testament. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, those are known as the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, in part. And, and they were written by Solomon and their expression of his, his wisdom. Can you imagine this? You've got to be rather wise. You've got to have had breadth of understanding to write 3,000 pro- Proverbs, good advice for the right way to live. And, and he wrote 1,005 songs. One of those songs is the Song of Solomon. So I'm going to give you a sample out of both. First of all, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Here's, here's some of his proverbs, some of his poetry. And it's, it's known by people all over the world, whether they're Christians or not. It's out of Ecclesiastes 3 in our Bible. Verse 1, there is a time for everything. You can almost hear Peter, Paul, and Mary singing this back when I was a teenager. There is a time for everything. Ding, 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 ding. And a season. And a season for every activity under the heavens. It was a bestseller. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plan, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. And if you're over 15 years old, you know that's pure genius because already we begin to see there's seasons in our lives and there's times and it doesn't do us good to fight those seasons, but we cooperate with them and let God shape them. Solomon will say, but God makes all things beautiful in his time. And this is elegant poetry. Solomon writes it because God gave him artistic wisdom. And, and then the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is often attributed to Christ, a song about the love between Christ and his church because marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. But, but it originally was a celebration of romantic love. It was like a wedding song. And he writes this whole song, the Song of Songs, in our Bible, and it's beautiful. A week from tomorrow is Valentine's Day, right? So for those central moments I do every day for five or six minutes um, on the podcast or on our YouTube channel, um, for that week, uh, Jill McDaniel and Sarah Mersiglio and, and also Crystal Martin, three of our pastors, they are going to do in Valentine's Week central moments for that week for me, and they're all going to do devotionals out of Song of Songs as a celebration of romantic love, Valentine's Week. And some of it I, I would not read in public. It's just meant for you to get the meaning, but this one I can do. Song of Psalms 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among young, women, young men. For I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. So let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. That's romantic, especially if you lived 3,000 years ago. That's just plain romantic. And the whole song, all several chapters of it, is a celebration of romantic love. So he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He had artistic wisdom. 
And it's rare for somebody who's really a genius in the arts to also be a genius in the sciences, but that was the case with Solomon because he also had scientific wisdom. Scientific wisdom. For the next verse there in 1 Kings 4, after talking about all his Proverbs and his songs that he had written, verse 33, the next verse, he spoke about plant life. Uh, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. You ever wondered how plants grow out of walls? Solomon tried to figure that out. And he also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. So, he became a genius and other parts of scriptures we don't have time to go. So the kings from around the ancient world would come to Solomon to learn science. He was a genius when it came to plant life and botany. And he was a genius when it came to animal life and biology and zoology. He, he loved the sciences because that's what I studied. I, I've always been fascinated by scientists through history who have loved Jesus and, and believed that God gives wisdom. Like Johannes Kepler. It was, he was a father of modern astronomy. And on May 15, 1618, it came to him in a flash. Swallow twice here. Take a deep breath. The squares of the periods of revolution are to each other as the cubes of the mean distances from the sun. He'd been crunching numbers. He'd been plotting the movement of planets and, and stars in the sky. And he says, all of a sudden, and even if you're a pretty bright rocket scientist, that thought doesn't plop into your head every day, necessarily. He said, all of a sudden, I heard the words, the squares of the period of revolution are to each other as the cube of their mean distance from the sun. This turns out to be Kepler's third law of orbital mechanics. It's why we have the space program today. And he writes, I feel carried away and possessed by an unutterable rupture, rapture, not rupture, rapture. For most of us, it would be a rupture. But <laughs> to have a statement like that, just overflow your soul with unutterable rapture. But it was a rapture over the divine spectacle of the heavenly harmony. He goes on to write, he said, I feel like God showed me something. He had showed no other human being. He showed me the harmony of the universe created by an intelligent, masterful, ingenious God. And he said, my soul was overwhelmed. Or Samuel Morse, uh, especially in the 1800s, he did most of his work. And he was one of those unusual artists, arts and sciences guy. He was a, a painter, but also an inventor. And he said this, he loved the Lord. He said, more than once and whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. And he says, I've made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God who meant it for mankind, that electricity would help mankind. God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to somebody, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. And his last name maybe tips you off. Morse, Morse code, right? Telegraph. He invented the telegraph. He developed the code of dots and dashes, of, of electrical impulses across electric wire. He sent the very first telegram from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. to a train station in Baltimore, Maryland. And the very first telegram 
quoted Numbers in our Old Testament, Numbers 23, verse 23. And in, if you take it out of King James English, Old English, it would say this, look what the Lord has done. That was the first telegram in human history. Look what the Lord has done. Because he said, I'd get stuck. I'd be stuck. I'm an inventor. I didn't know what to do. It's technology. And I'd get on my knees. That might be good for all of us when our phone's not cooperating. Just get on our knees. Say, God, I know I can figure this out. I don't mean to be trite. His first telegram was that changed the world. Was look what God has done. Or George Washington Carver who addressed nutritional issues on a global scale in our world, a botanist and an inventor. He said, when I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, well, God, then tell me the mystery of the peanut. And God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. But the next four words amaze me. And he told me. And he invented hundreds of applications of the peanut that address nutritional issues all over our world. Because God loves people. And he's just waiting to stretch understanding for people that will get on their knees. I heard about a guy this week. He lives in Minneapolis area. He's a young entrepreneur. I think he's, got a, he's already got a company of his own. I think it's a tech company. But he's really challenged by the mission of Jesus. He said, I went home and one night, he said, one night, he said, God just gave me two new inventions. I just saw them. So I'm going to start a brand, a brand new company. In fact, I think he said, I'm going to start two new companies around these two new inventions. It had already started at least one company. He said, I'm going to dedicate every dollar of the prophets to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. So I'm thinking God's still doing this kind of thing. Giving us breath. Just stretching. Just helping us to see things. And sometimes it doesn't happen in, in the predictable moments. Um, sometimes I don't always experience it when I'm in my prayer times. But there's just times. Sometimes I'm sitting in a meeting and all of a sudden I just see something. Or, or sometimes I'm, I'm typing away, and all of a sudden, a thought I've never had just comes. It's kind of that creative process, but I believe God enters the creativity he's given all of us and just stretches us. And then, seeing we're talking about our jobs now, that leads to vocational wisdom. Just hang with me here. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So, so Ecclesiastes is wisdom about life. It's a very cynical book, but it's got a great chapter, right? Second last chapter, chapter 11, that really talks about succeeding in the workplace, if I may put it that crassly. And it starts this way, verse 1. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive, you may <laughs> receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, even an eight. Why? Because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So we're facing all kinds of uncertainties. So he's saying, don't just sell your grain to your neighbor. I mean, get involved in international trade. Go broader with your markets. And when you have things to invest, your ventures, don't put all your eggs in one basket. 
But, but try seven ventures, or eight even, even better, because you don't know what's going to come. And here's how I summarize that. Expand your skills and diversify your investments. What great wisdom that is. And I'll tell you, if you're good at something, try becoming good at two things, <laughs> not just one thing. Keep growing your skills. You never know. You never know. Because uh, he said, you, you know, you never know. Maybe after a few days, you'll receive a return. You don't know. But just keep stretching, keep growing, keep growing your skills, and, 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 and diversify your investments. Don't, don't put all your investments into one particular stock or, or investment, because if that goes down, you've lost everything. It's wise to diversify. Diversify your skills and diversify your investments. That's great wisdom. And then, and that's in the Bible. And then verse 4, whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So also, he's telling us, don't fall prey to the paralysis of analysis. Don't, I mean, there's a place where we overthink things to the degree we never actually do anything. So literally on our pastoral team, because some of us are more perfectionists than others, you know, if you're just going to be watching the weather all the time, like, like I, I'm not going to plant until the conditions are ideal. Huh, look, they're never ideal. You're just watching. If, if you watch the wind, he says, you'll not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If you're just waiting for the perfect conditions, for, forget it. So, so sometimes on our pastoral team, we've talked about the 80% thing, you know. When we're 80% ready, then let's pull the trigger and do it. You know, we could wait forever, wait until we're 100% ready. But life's risk. You step out. You do something now. You don't, you, you don't just get paralyzed by overanalyzing everything. You, you have some faith. You take some risks. And not everything will turn out. But don't be reckless. But at least if you're 80% ready, do it. That's great advice. And then verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening, let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed. Whether it's this or that or whether both will do equally well. So he's saying, get up in the mornings, you know, work hard, sow your seed in the morning, and then don't be lazy, sow your seed at night too. Because you don't know which sowing of your seed, which planting of your seed will work. Uh, you don't know if the morning planting will bring a harvest or the evening or maybe both, but, but because you do not know what will succeed, whether this or that, um, you know, do both equally well. So work hard. Defy mediocrity and leave the results to God. You know, I used to be more uptight about life when I was younger. Got to have everything right, and and I don't know. You know, will this really work? And what if it doesn't work? And and God's wisdom kind of involves invites us even to relax at work a little bit, not to be lazy, but to work hard. You do your part. You work hard. Work in the morning. Work in the evening. But, but then defy mediocrity. Mediocrity is that commitment to only do barely what's needed and nothing more. And some of us live that way. We live in mediocrity. We're just going to do enough to get by and nothing more. But he's saying, no, sow your seed in the morning. Sow your seed in the evening. Uh, for you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. You don't know. So you defy mediocrity, you work hard, and you relieve the results to God. So... If you are living that, your boss is very happy with you <laughs> if you're living that. So this is great vocational wisdom. And, and God gave all of this wisdom to Solomon. 
And they write corporate leadership books about this stuff this time. But Solomon was on to this years ago as God gave him wisdom. But the last kind of wisdom, we've talked about discerning wisdom. We have talked about artistic wisdom. We've talked about scientific wisdom. We've talked about vocational wisdom, wisdom for work. The last is moral wisdom. And when it comes to the Proverbs that Solomon wrote, this was largely what wisdom spoke about. It did speak about your work habits. It did speak about your relationships. But it largely talked about what we call moral wisdom. And here's the little gem. It's Psalm, it's Proverbs 9, verse 10, where it simply says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That, to me, is so profound. I love to hear you just read that out loud, together, all, all together out loud. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know where to start with wisdom. It has to do not with an invention at work. It has to do not with you figuring out how to solve the conflict between your kids. It starts with the lifestyle decisions you're making, the moral decisions you're making, and are you making them as if you were accountable to God someday? And wisdom in life is trembling. That's the fear of God. It's trembling to ever live outside of his will. It's trembling to ever live in a place where his blessing is no longer upon your life. That's the fear of God. And he said that's where wisdom starts. And that's why back to Proverbs chapter 2 where Solomon writes, the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. A few verses later, verse 12, wisdom will save you, not from bankruptcy, but wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men from men whose words are perverse because wisdom is going to take you the other way from evil and sin and perversity in your life. It's going to save you from those who have left the straight paths to walk, walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, the brokenness in evil and rebellion of the human heart against God. Wisdom is going to take you the other direction and it's going to take you away from those whose paths are crooked and are devious in their ways. This is where wisdom will show itself the greatest. And right in this chapter, this chapter starts with a personification of wisdom as if wisdom's a person standing on the street calling people to come to her house. And you will eat the fruit of my house. And then the beginning of wisdom is the knowledge of evil right there in the middle of Proverbs 9. The, beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then after that, you have foolishness personified at the end of the chapter, and foolishness is pictured as a person standing on a street calling people into her house of foolishness. But the end of tasting her fruits and eating at her table is death and destruction to the human soul. This is what sin does for you. And the whole great conflict of evil and sin in our world is pictured as the the battle between the way of wisdom because the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. It's to go His way. It's to know we're accountable to Him. Listen, you can, you can make yourself a billionaire with a brilliant technological uh, invention and still go to hell because the central fact is that your heart, 
Is your heart bought into wickedness and going your own way and selfishness? Or is your heart into going God's way and honoring God and loving Him with all your heart and finding victory over the addictions and victory over the battle of our affections inside where affections want to go towards those wicked things? Solomon said, wisdom takes you a different direction. And then the Apostle Paul, of all things, in the New Testament, lands here. This is stunning to me, and this is where we land and end today. It's verse 30 of his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1. It is because of him, God, that is of God, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. God so loved the world, he sent his son. It's because of him that you, you can be in Christ Jesus. You can have his life. Who has, and then he describes Jesus in this most interesting way. Who has become for us, what? Wisdom from God. The embodiment of God's way. The embodiment of God's wisdom is Jesus. We sang a great song this morning, holiness has a name. It is Jesus. Victory has a name. It is Jesus. We, we, we're just going to add one phrase to that. Wisdom has a name. It is Jesus. It all starts in him. Life in him. And then in case those Corinthians were scratching their head like, what does it mean? We know wisdom. We know Solomon. We know Proverbs. We know Ecclesiastes. We know Song of Songs. We know the wisdom literature of the Holy Scriptures. But what? Jesus is our wisdom? Yes, Jesus embodies all of that. And then he clarifies to them. That is, he's our wisdom from God. That is, Jesus is our righteousness, he's our holiness, and he's our redemption. Jesus has come to set us free from sin. He's our righteousness. We're clothed with his righteousness. God looks at us like we've never sinned before because we're clothed with his righteousness. He took our unrighteousness on the cross when he died for us. He embodied, he the Logos, the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. This is Jesus. He came into our world. He took all that foolishness directs us towards in our life. He took all that sin on himself on the cross, and he became the wisdom of God for us. He, and he gives us his righteousness, his rightness. So, so he becomes to us our Righteousness. He becomes to us our holiness. Holiness does have a name. It's Jesus. And he becomes to us our redemption. Because our foolishness, our sin, trapped us in Satan's kingdom. Made us slaves to the power of sin. Sin's not just an unfortunate mistake. Sin is a power that works in our lives to take us away from God and destroy your soul. And doom you to hell. But Jesus came buy us back from the ownership of Satan over our lives that we sold out to through our sin. And he is our redemption. Jesus is our wisdom because he is our righteousness, he's our holiness, and he's our redemption. And he can change your heart and make you new. Jesus is the wisdom of God to us. And wisdom starts there with him. I'd like you to stand with me, please.